Hello, and welcome to Birth of Family Church Podcast. We trust that you'll find an encouraging word to strengthen your walk with the Lord. And if you're visiting the area, or if you're looking for a good church home, come check us out at birthedfamilychurch.org. There you can find our location and service times. Thanks again for tuning in. God bless. things that God has done for us that are a truth and a reality, but yet our mind still has a problem understanding it. Aren't you glad that we can have things from the Lord even though we don't understand them? Right? I mean, it's just like caring for a young child. You do so much for them, and yet they don't understand a thing that you're doing. But that doesn't stop them from receiving that goodness that you have for them. It's that way with God as well. He's so gracious. Well, as you know, on those months where we have five Sundays, we reserve that fifth uh, Sunday of that month to do communion. And uh, I was brought up in a church where we had communion every Sunday. But it was kind of tacked on to the end of the service. It was kind of... It be, to me anyway, maybe not to anyone else, but to me it became a ritual. It's just something we did, and I didn't know why. I mean, if you don't know why, then it's difficult to receive the benefits from it. And so when the Lord called me to pastor, I decided that at least try to, every time that we do have communion together, that I teach on it, to get faith from the word of God to receive communion, to receive its benefits. And so that's what we're doing this morning. And there's one particular area that the Lord wanted us to focus on, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I want you first to go down to Ephesians chapter 1. So I'm already skipping a, uh, a scripture there, Vince, but you'll learn as you're up there that at any given time we could go anywhere. Amen. So Vince is up there doing the projection for us, and he's doing a great job. It's nice to have Sharon down here to to help me. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Now it uses this term here, in him. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him. Well, that that may be a little bit blind to you. You you might not understand what he's talking about. Here in the King James, it says, in whom? My new King James says, in him. Understanding this will help you that this phrase of in him, in whom, in Christ, is talking about you and who you've become through the new birth. So you're actually a part of Christ. You are his body. He's the head, you're the body. You're actually a living part of the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. And so in the epistles, you're going to find a lot of references about being in Christ, in him, in whom. 
And that's talking about you, who you've become on the inside. That's not who you are on the outside, right? I mean, if you know that you're not a body. You and I were eternal spirit beings, and we live on the inside of our body. We live in this house, our body. And it says, so because you're in Christ, it says that we have redemption. Redemption was, was taking us out of that fallen sin condition spiritually and has brought us into God's living kingdom in his son. Redemption is what Jesus did to purchase us out of the snatches of that fallen spiritual world, the kingdom of darkness. And it says here that that, that redemption was paid through his blood. Now, I like to visualize things. I, I like to give meaning to things in Scripture, sometimes on a, a natural uh, basis to kind of help me understand. But I look at the blood of Jesus as a currency. It's something that's a legal tender to purchase something in our behalf. Just like the, the U.S. dollar uh, is legal tender. To, to buy goods and services. You can purchase things with our greenbacks and our coins, right? Well, there's nothing of this world that could purchase our salvation. There was nothing of this world that had the buying power to purchase us, to redeem us. And so that's why God had to come to the world as a man. So that this God-man, this, this God that's encased in flesh, he now can represent us because he's a man, he's a human. But now he also has the currency to purchase us because his father was God. And so his blood was untainted by the world and had that spiritual attribute to purchase you and I. And every time that we take communion, we're celebrating the blood of Jesus. The cup represents a heavenly currency. And it not only purchased us however many years ago it was when we received it from him, but we can apply that currency today. Yet, this morning, we can put faith in that currency and purchase what we need from the Lord at his table. So look at this. Let's, let's read it again. So being a part of Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Now look what it encompasses. We have what? The forgiveness of what? Sins. Now, understand that when you see this word sin, yes, it's talking about fallen behavior, missing the mark, acting ungodly. But that really shouldn't be the full focus. It's also the forgiveness of our sin condition, who we were before Christ. You see, should I say this? There is nobody that misses heaven 
and goes to hell just solely based on their behavior. Now, you, you got to think about this for a little bit because we have to renew our mind. We have this idea that sin is just behavior. No, it's much more than that. It's actually a spiritual condition. It's being separated or fallen from God, meaning that we have no life in our spirit, so therefore we are spiritually dead. His forgiveness caused our spirit man to be born again. He imparted his life inside of us to where our spirit was actually resurrected and we became a brand new species in Christ. And you can't see that by looking on the outside of somebody. You can look at somebody acting badly and you're thinking, well, wow, he doesn't know Christ, she doesn't know Christ. But you'd be surprised how many people we're going to see in heaven we're going to go, Whoa, what are you doing here? Wait a Whoa, how'd you, how'd, how, did you sneak in? <laughs> wait, 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 how'd you get here? And you'll find out that they were, their spirit was resurrected, but they never renewed their mind, so they just continued to act like the world. I'm not advocating that. I'm not saying we should live that way. We're to, we, we are to have good works in our life. And we should have less bad works in our life every day we move forward because we're growing. Amen? But what I'm trying to say is that redemption encompasses a lot more than just forgiving something that we did wrong. It's also the forgiveness of our inner man, our spirit. And it's through the blood. So you can be saved at the communion table. I said you can receive Christ at the communion table. Because <laughs> we were purchased with his blood. Now, notice how he gets it to us. I'm still in verse 7, Ephesians 1. We receive this redemption. We receive the value of what the blood has purchased for us. We have been forgiven not only spiritually, but also the things that we've done wrong according to the riches of what? His grace. Now, Grace, as you know, is just simply receiving something you don't deserve. Now, I used, before I knew the Lord, before I knew the Bible, I would ask the Lord to forgive me because I would promise never to do what I did again. Am I the only one who did that? I'd go to the Lord and I'd, I, I thought it was like Monty Hall and let's make a deal. I, I would go to the Lord and I'd say, hey, yeah, I, I missed it here, but you know what? If you'll forgive me, I'll never do it again. Well, what am I, how, how am I trying to receive my forgiveness? Through works, through performance. I'm trying to receive forgiveness on how good I am. Oh, yeah, I'm good. And that's not what this says. You receive it according to his grace. Now, I don't know about you guys uh, this morning, but that's good news for me. Because it takes the burden off of me to get good enough for God to receive the goodness of God. He's willing to give me what I don't deserve and what I haven't earned. 
And that's all about the communion table. Every one of us is receiving according to the riches of his grace. That he's not giving it to us because of us, but he's giving it to us because of what Jesus did for us. See the difference there? Now, so forgiveness, that would be the new birth and paying the price for the things that we've done wrong. And if you're like me, and I know you are, because you are perfection encased in imperfection. Your inner man is perfect. I said it's perfect, and it's sealed with the Holy Spirit. And it, it, it's, it doesn't change. Everything that God had for you and purchased for you is now in you right now. You still have to access it, but it's, it's all there. You're a complete package. Amen? And so understand that you've got to receive this grace through faith. What's faith? Actively receiving what you didn't purchase yourself. It's receiving for yourself what you haven't earned or deserved. For by grace are you saved through faith. So faith is the receiving part of what God put inside of you. Right? And what I was trying to get to, I know that you're like me because you're perfect, living in that which is not perfect, and I'm still making mistakes. I'm still doing things wrong. I still sin. I'm surprised you all didn't go, <gasps> but all you have to do is talk to the Italian princess and she'll tell you. Um, it could be on a daily basis. I don't, I'm not keeping score. But I need his grace to use my faith to receive forgiveness on a regular basis. And this morning, that's the basis or the focus of communion. Because it's not God's plan. It's not God's will for you and I to live day by day with unremoved sin in our life. And some of us have been carrying around some, some packages that we should have gotten rid of years ago. And what do you say we just get it all? Let's spend some heavenly currency this morning through his blood and get free completely. Does that make sense? And then continue to maintain. Hallelujah. Now, faith receives or takes what's freely given. It, it, it's just like our salvation. There's nothing that you had to do prior to being saved to earn your salvation. You simply took it. You called upon his name. You received him as your savior. You took what was freely given. And it really had nothing to do with you and your behavior for him to give it to you. 
He just gave it freely. Did you get that? Understand that everything that God gives to us is a gift. Now, there is a qualification in order to ask for forgiveness, or better said, to take forgiveness from the Lord. There's a requirement. Does anybody know what the requirement is? Think about what you think the requirement is in your mind. What do you think is a requirement that you have sin? That you have something that's still kind of separating you from God a little bit. It's hindering your confidence towards God. What requirement do you think that you might have to have to receive freely his forgiveness? Now, when I tell you what it is, you're going to go, oh, come on. Were you ready? To be qualified to receive forgiveness, you have to recognize that you have sinned. You've got to recognize that you missed God. You see, we're living in a society right now that nobody's ever wronged. Have you noticed that? Am I the only one that sees that in these the younger generations that are popping up around us? They have this self-entitlement. But you see, there is a requirement to ask for forgiveness and to receive forgiveness is that you have to recognize you have it and you have to repent and turn from it. This is some really good preaching right here. Right here. This is worth the 20 bucks for you to drive here to church. Used to be a dollar fifty to get here. <laughs> now it's 20 bucks. Now, you and I have a mechanism inside of us that recognizes things that we need to get removed, things that are kind of separating us from God and his goodness. And it's called conscience. You, you and I, we have a conscience. Now, my definition of a conscience is simply the voice of your spirit. It's the intuition, the knowing of your inner man. Conscience. You see, in order for you to recognize you needed a savior, your conscience had to start showing you that you were without Christ. And if you and I will learn to follow our conscience in our decision-making, we're going to get a lot more things right than we had before then. Amen? Now, I want you to go on over, Vince, we're going to go on over to 2 Corinthians. We're going to go to chapter 7, verse 9. 
Now, when, let me just use Bruce as an example. When I miss it, my conscience begins to feel bad. And you, 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 it you, it's, it's kind of like you just feel dirty. You feel that something's amiss. Now, we haven't lost our relationship with God, but we've just simply lost our confidence in God. Like, I would never ask my mom if I could sleep overnight with Johnny unless I did all my chores that day. Then I had confidence to my mom that she'd say yes. But if I knew I didn't do my chores, there's no way I was going to ask her to, to, to sleep over at Johnny's. Because I didn't have a confidence. Now, I'm still her son. She's still my mom. The relationship's still there. But you see, there's a hindrance. There's a hindrance. Now, notice this. 2 Corinthians 7, 9. Look, look at this word, sorry, in the King James. This is Paul, and he says, now I'm rejoicing. Okay, what's he rejoicing about? And he says, well, first of all, I'm not rejoicing that you were made sorry. I'm not rejoicing because... Your conscience is speaking to you and telling you that you got something wrong. I'm not rejoicing in that, but I'm rejoicing that that which you were sorry about, you were sorrowed to the point that you obeyed your conscience and you repented of what you were sorry about. Is anybody with me? Do I, do, do I need to go over this again? We need to start understanding this mechanism that's in us. And once we be, allow ourselves to become tender to it, we can walk with God with, with as much confidence as, as we can ever have. Because our consciousness is, is clear. Our consciousness is, 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 is everything's okay. Another way to mention what your conscious is feeling is sorrow. Now, it'll describe this as we go on. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. Now, there were times when I would preach a sermon and I would have someone come up to me after the service. They'd pull me aside and they said, your service today condemned me. You condemned me this morning. I went, what? But they didn't recognize that that was the, their conscience saying, hey, you got this wrong. God never condemns. God always tries to convince. And it begins in recognizing what we have wrong with a sorrow. 
he was, he was misinterpreting a godly sorrow as condemnation. And so he's resisting it. He's allowing his heart to get harder and harder and saying, that's okay what I'm doing. That's okay what I'm doing. I don't want him to condemn me. I'm just going to keep on doing it. So notice that you can be sorry after a godly manner. Having sorrow about an activity in our life is kind of your conscience saying, take a look at this. Pay attention to this. Now go on to verse 10. Now I want you to understand that there's two types of sorrow. You see, with every godly attribute, there's always a counterfeit by the enemy. Now, this is very telling. It says in verse 10, for godly sorrow. Now, what's godly sorrow? My conscience telling me that there's, I'm, I'm, I feel bad about something. I feel bad about what I did. He says that a godly sorrow will produce what? Repentance which leads to salvation or forgiveness or whatever you need in terms of what that sorrow that God is showing you is based upon. But it says, but the sorrow of the world. Notice there's a godly sorrow and what? A sorrow of the world. It produces death. So godly sorrow produces repentance, meaning we get it right, The sorrow of the world produces death. Now, let's break these two things down. Godly sorrow is the knowledge of doing something wrong. Godly sorrow is the knowledge of doing something wrong. Godly sorrow has remorse, or as we've been saying, sorrow. And it leads us to what? Going to God for repentance, turning towards God. And repentance does what? It receives or takes forgiveness. Now, worldly sorrow is completely opposite. Yes, worldly sorrow has the knowledge of doing wrong, but it produces guilt and condemnation. It pushes you away from God. And it releases hopelessness. Now, godly sorrow is based on the knowledge of God's grace. What's his grace? Being able to receive something we didn't earn or deserve. Worldly sorrow is based on the knowledge of religion or the knowledge of works. Trying to get right with God through performance, through good works. It teaches you that you can only be right with God by doing right. Godly sorrow produces fellowship, peace, and security. Worldly sorrow produces separation, fear, and despair. 
Now, we're going to look at two testimonies real quick. I'm trying to get this done in a timely manner. I want you to go to Mark chapter 14, verse 43. Now, we're going to contrast with two testimonies, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, so that we can recognize the difference and bear the fruit of godly sorrow. Mark 14, verse 43. This is Judas. Mark 14, 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, who was one of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and scribes and elders. Verse 44. Now his betrayer had given them a signal. So Judas is telling them how to locate who, who Jesus is. Saying, whoever I kiss, he is the one. He's, he's the Messiah. He's Jesus. So then take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he came up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. So this is the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. Now let's look at Peter. Mark chapter 14. Verse 66. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, this is after Jesus had been apprehended, and he's now in a dark room with rubber hoses and they're interrogating him one of the servant girls of the high priest came and when she saw Peter warming himself he's over a fire in the cool of the night she looked at him and said you also were with Jesus of Nazareth now notice Peter verse 68 but he denied it saying I neither know nor understand what you are saying and he went out on the porch and the rooster crowed. Verse 69. Then the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it, your accent shows it. Then he began to curse. And to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And a second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus has said to him Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. How many of you know that both Judas? And Peter had missed the mark. Judas betrayed Jesus, turned him in to the authorities by identifying him. But Peter also turned his back on Jesus and denied him. Technically, they both did the same thing. They were denying Jesus as Lord.
Now, because each of these disciples missed the mark, both of them had the knowledge of their wrongdoing. Now, this is where these two take on either godly sorrow or worldly sorrow. Judas ran from God in despair thinking he personally had to pay the price of his sin. He also had the thought that I could never be forgiven of that sin. How many of us have been tempted about that? Oh yeah, God can forgive you for this. He can forgive you for that. But oh, you, you did something really bad. Hey, sin is what? Sin. <laughs> It doesn't matter if you miss the mark by this much or if you miss it by this much, you still miss the mark. I just love these religions that qualify sin and what you have to do to get forgiveness. That's worldly sorrow. Judas allowed what he did wrong to be bigger than God's grace. And in his hopelessness, he thought he was without options. He thought he had committed the impardonable, the unforgivable sin, and so he went out in despair and he killed himself. Didn't the scripture tell us that godly, or excuse me, worldly sorrow leads to what? Death. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to, if you do that, you're going to, kill yourself. No, there's different levels of death in our life. No level is good. Now, Peter recognized his wrongdoing and he ran to God believing that through an act of grace, God would forgive him of his sin. See, that's godly sorrow. Did I do something wrong? Yes. Did I know better? Maybe. Will God forgive me? The answer every time is yes, 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 yes. Don't ever let the sorrow you feel turn to a worldly sorrow, thinking that there's nothing that can be done. That is a lie, and it is not scriptural. Now, people get really mad at us when we start teaching this way because they say, well, you're just giving people the, the license to sin. Well, I don't know if they've noticed, I don't have a license and I still sin. Think of the worst human being that history has told us about. And understand that if that person had got down on their knees and asked Jesus into their life in the midst of all that they had done wrong, God would forgive them and allow them to come into the kingdom of God. Because remember, it's not what they did wrong that keeps them out of a relationship with God. It's their sin condition. It's their sin nature that keeps them 
away from God. Amen? So that brings us to communion. And this morning, I want you to take the liberty to check your conscience. And could I ask the ushers, Ken and Pam, to help us? While I'm talking, would you mind uh, passing out the, the cups and, and, the, and the bread? Now, just hold on to the cup and hold on to the bread because we're all going to do it together. And everybody is welcome at the Lord's table. No religion has a, you know, dibs on it. It's open to all who want to receive. So we encourage everyone to participate this morning. And so while they're serving us, I want you to think about, is there something that my conscience has been bothering me about? And, and I'm not saying you guys have done something wrong and, you, you, you know, you better, you better get it right through communion. No, just uh, this is between you and the Lord. Amen. The Lord's table is directly between you and the Savior. There's no middleman. There's no middle person. There's no middle entity, so to speak. We have direct access to him because of what he did for us. But check your heart. Now, you should be looking for two separate things. Is there something I've done wrong? Or is there somebody I haven't forgiven? Is there something that I know that was wrong and I want it washed away? Or is there someone that I haven't forgiven that hurt me and it's time to forgive them? We can do that at the communion table. So why don't you check your heart. See if there's something that you need to give to the Lord so he can give you his grace. And completely wash you, forgive you, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And this is the vision that Paul had concerning communion and the Lord's Supper. He says in verse 23, he says, I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night that he was betrayed 
he took bread. Now notice what he said. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you understand that this, this bread is not the actual body of Jesus. But it's a, it represents his body and what it produced for us. This bread became, becomes a point of contact for us to receive the benefits of his body. Now there's two primary things that his body has done for us. His body was broken to make us all one in the spiritual body. And so when we eat this bread, we're speaking unity over us, that there be no division or separation or one, one with odds against another, that we would all be one. But also the, the stripes that Jesus received on his body, through his stripes, healing is provided for our body. And so in this bread, you can say, I receive what your body provided for me. I receive healing now in my flesh. And you can receive healing at the communion table. So let's, let's pray over the bread. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you became our sacrifice. You became our lamb and you took our place there on the cross. And you told us there in 1 Peter 2.24 that with your stripes we were healed. Lord, as we partake of this bread, we receive healing, strength, and vitality to our outer man, to our flesh, and we declare that we are one with one another in the body of Christ. We receive it now in Jesus' name. Let's partake. If you received healing, just begin to thank him for it. Then over in verse 25, in the same manner, Jesus always took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new relationship in my blood. So again, this, this juice doesn't turn into the Lord's blood as you take it. It's just a symbol of his blood. His blood has a spiritual quality to it. It's not natural. It's spiritual. So we see this cup and it gives us a point of contact to release our faith in to receive or to take forgiveness or even salvation. We can do it right here at his table. He says, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me or in remembrance of what I purchased for you. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So if any of us this morning has sorrow about something that we've done, if there's somebody that we haven't released through forgiveness, if there's somebody that we're still in odds with and unable or unwilling to forgive them the pain that they, that they uh, caused us. This would be a good place 
to have this currency of heaven remove it. So just take a moment right now, and if you've got something that you want this cup to remove, just talk under your breath to the Lord and tell him what you're sorry about. Tell him what you're repenting from. And if it's a person that you're holding in judgment through unforgiveness, just say, I forgive you. Just go ahead and do that now. Now, Father, we've checked our hearts. And we, we have lifted up to you all that we're sorry about in terms of what we have done wrong and also those that we have yet to forgive. So we confess our sin to you because you're the one who's faithful and just. And we forgive those that have wronged us because you forgave us. And so as we take this cup, we receive washing and cleansing from all unrighteousness and that our relationship with you is back as it was that moment, that day we called upon your name and were saved. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and partake of the cup. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now understand that receiving forgiveness isn't necessarily a feeling. Because you receive something spiritually. Sometimes it takes your emotions time to catch up with what you believe you have in your heart. So I want you to now know right now you're as clean and as righteous as you can be. Because you put faith in his blood and you've accessed his forgiveness through grace. And it's freely yours now. And so you are in perfect standing with God. Can anybody say, thank you, Lord? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to go right into our potluck lunch. And uh, let's go ahead and pray over the food because I know you want to get in line really quick and you don't want it delayed by praying. So let's go ahead and bless the food now. Father, thank you for the healing and the forgiveness and all that you just did at communion for us. We, 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 we receive it by faith and thank you that it's ours and that your grace is now active and working in our hearts. Lord, thank you for these people that have brought the food and, and lovingly prepared it. We declare this food is good to our body.